to another episode of No Trash, Just Truth. No Trash, Just Truth is a podcast of Proverbs 910 Ministries. We're your hosts, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed our special 200th episode of No Trash, Just Truth. And we want to thank all of our listeners for helping us get to that milestone. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for both of us doing these podcasts. And we enjoy hearing from you how they've encouraged you or helped you in your walk with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. We are very encouraged by all of you. And we have a favor to ask. If you like the podcast, one of the things you can really do to help us is post a comment on whatever platform you listen on or share episodes or tell your friends or subscribe and like on whatever platform you listen to. You might not think that's a big deal, but it really helps with the whole algorithm thing that makes us come up quicker in searches. And we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And we want you all to know that we don't take you all lightly. After giving the glory to God, you all are second on our list of things we are very thankful for. Absolutely. So Rose, this series, Christians Every Christian Should Know, has been pretty popular, and we might have to do a round two of it. Next week's our last episode of the series, and then we're going to dive into Majoring in the Minors, which is a series about the minor prophets. Today's Christian Every Christian Should Know is someone that a lot of you might not be familiar with, and you might not have even heard of, but it's likely that you've heard of or at least are familiar with the organization that he started. It's an organization that's had a profound impact by connecting the realm of sports with the gospel. The man who is known as the founding father of sports ministry is a basketball coach named Don McLannan. It's hard for us to imagine the world of sports before chaplains were common in locker rooms or football opponents joined in midfield prayer or a time before Christian athletes and coaches shared their faith publicly. A lot of them, even up to the professional level, are not shy about sharing their faith now. Well, Don McLennan played a large role in what we see today when it comes to Christianity being openly proclaimed in the sports world. Yes, he did. He was instrumental in that happening. Don McLennan was born February 3rd, 1925 in Trenton, New Jersey, and he was the son of a carpenter. I don't know what his mother did. I think she may have been a stay-at-home mom. He joined the U.S. Navy after high school, and he served in the Pacific during World War II. After being discharged from the Navy in 1946, Don found himself standing on the platform of a train station in Bainbridge, Maryland, on his way home to Morrisville, Pennsylvania, where he'd been raised. A naval officer standing next to him said, well, sailor, what are you going to do now that you're out of the Navy? And his answer was that he was probably going to go to the University of Pennsylvania near his hometown. The officer mentioned the possibility of going to Oklahoma A&M University, knowing the school had both a football team and a basketball team that were making headlines. And Don McLennan followed that officer's advice. He did. After marrying his high school sweetheart, Gloria, the couple headed to Oklahoma A&M, which is now Oklahoma State University. He believed this would be a great place to major in phys ed so that he could become a coach. The McLannans suffered incredible heartbreak during those early years. 
1947, their first child, Douglas, died only a day after being born. Don and his wife, Gloria, were Christians. And in the spring of that same year, Don was challenged by a youth pastor to consider how he would merge his faith with his desired profession. And this question nagged at him until he attended a physical education conference in Oklahoma City, where one of the speakers challenged coaches to recognize how their own lives and examples could lead young people either up a mountain or down a drain. Those were the, the hmm. coaches, the speakers words. I really do love seeing how God puts all the pieces in place for all these people yep. we've been discussing. I know it's cool. So at that point, Don McLennan felt that he'd been failing to model his Christian life. He took a walk to sort out his thoughts and he found the open door to a church where he prayed, Lord, I surrender my will to you. He says later that it was that prayer that took him for the first time from belief to obedience. And from that day forward, he began clipping news articles about Christian athletes and stashing them in a desk drawer, a hobby that was going to become a tool for him later in his coaching years. After he graduated in 1950, he started his coaching career as a high school coach near Stillwater, Oklahoma. And it wasn't long till he became the athletic director and the men's basketball coach at Eastern A&M College, which would be known as Oklahoma State, in Wilburton, Oklahoma. Sometime during his early coaching career, Don read that 30 million American youth had no religious training, and that really struck him. Soon after, he began posting those articles that he had clipped from the newspapers and magazines about well-known Christian athletes in the locker room. And he also began praying with the team before games. And that's when he began dreaming for a way for well-known Christian athletes to advertise their faith on television and in magazines the way that they advertised household products. One of his famous quotes is, if athletes can endorse shaving cream, razor blades, and cigarettes, surely they can endorse the Lord. But the first question to be answered was, how do I make that happen? And the second question is, why are athletes endorsing cigarettes? <laughs> I know. But that was long I, ago. That was before, I'm sure, before they figured out that they don't go together. Yeah. When I, I, you know, I was thinking that a lot of our listeners that are younger probably have never, would never have dreamed that, yeah. but it did happen. It did happen. Also at that time, polio was at epidemic levels and the March of Dimes routinely held fundraisers. To make them a success, they started contacting local celebrities to come to their rallies. One of those rallies was held in the college gym where Don coached. The most famous athletes put on dribbling competitions. Robert Richards pole vaulted. Warren Spawn pitched. Mickey Mantle batted. The crowd loved watching all these famous athletes showing off their skills. But what got the most response from the crowd wasn't watching these famous athletes showing off their athletic prowess. The crowd was enamored when Pepper Martin and Bob Richards, who were both Christians, got up and gave their personal testimonies to their Christian faith. Yeah, the crowd's reaction to their personal testimonies showed Don McLennan the way to take the message of Christ to young people in America and all over the world. For years, he felt that God had placed in his heart this dream 
to start an organization that would feature professional athletes professing their Christian faith. And he'd been praying about it for all these years. Now he saw how to do it. Yeah, he ended up in what some would say a chance meeting with Dr. Lewis H. Evans, who was a former basketball player and was now an ordained Presbyterian minister. But of course, there was nothing chance about it. Evans came to be known as one of the most notable preachers of the 20th century, and he'd even been featured in Life Magazine's article listing America's top 10 clergymen. When they met, Don mentioned his vision and showed Dr. Evans the articles posted in the locker room, one of which was the Life Magazine article about him. And it was Evans who encouraged him to write letters to men featured in these clippings. So in 1954, Coach McLennan sent 19 letters to prominent sports figures throughout the nation. Yeah, here's part of what he said in that letter. For some time, I have had the idea of forming an organization of athletes and coaches in this hero-worshiping nation of ours. If athletes can endorse shaving cream, razor blades, and cigarettes, surely they can endorse the Lord too. So my idea is to form an organization that would project you as Christian men before the youth and athletes of our nation. And that's the end of the quote from his letter. And he sent these letters to football stars, Doak Walker and Otto Graham, baseball players, Carl Erskine and Robin Roberts, Olympic athletes like Bob Mathias, Bob Richards and Louis Zamperini. And he even sent letters to coaches and broadcasters about his dream. From the 19 letters that he sent, he got 14 replies from those who said they were interested. That summer, he mortgaged their car and set out on a cross-country trip to meet with those 14 men and to solicit funds to establish this organization. And eventually, the organization would be known as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And it's the forerunner and the largest of Christian athletic organizations even today. FCA is what they go by today. Yes. One of the people he sent a letter to was Branch Rickey, who at that time was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Rickey was well known for the fact that he invented baseball's affiliated minor league system, but he was also well known because he signed Jackie Robinson to the Brooklyn Dodgers and that broke the color barrier in baseball. But Branch Rickey wasn't one of those 14 who got back to him. He didn't want to meet with McClanahan. And McClanahan was pretty tenacious from what I've read, and he would not give up. He persisted and he persisted until eventually Ricky agreed to a five-minute meeting. And during that meeting, Don's family was in prayer. Love it. So the meeting, the five-minute meeting, ended up lasting five hours. Ricky was on board, and he pointed Don to an influential Pittsburgh businessman named Paul Benedim, who would give the organization $10,000 to get started. So in the fall of 1954, this unnamed organization at the time held its first advisory board meeting. And in November of 1954, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was officially incorporated as a not-for-profit organization. The board was adamant that this was going to be a Christian organization, not a religious organization, and that the name would reflect that. Yeah. McLennan said, the name Fellowship of Christian Athletes just came naturally. 
This was a Christian movement totally. We would not be ashamed of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we decided on Fellowship of Christian Athletes. At last, this idea and dream had a name. So in 1955, Don McLennan resigned his position at Eastern and became administrative director of the organization. And it was a huge financial risk for their family since this organization was struggling to remain solvent at this point. It was just getting started. But McLennan's chose to trust God, and it's said that his wife prayed for them not to go bankrupt. <laughs> but they, they trusted God for meeting their financial needs. The first FCA National Conference, which was a camp, was held in 1956 in Estes Park, Colorado. That year's theme was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The leaders had no idea how many people were going to come. Don reserved rooms for 500 people, 450 high school and college athletes, plus 50 coaches. When Gary Demarest, the camp's dean, picked up Branch Rickey at the airport for the event, he was worried the camp was going to be a bust, and with good reason. I mean, it was brand new. They didn't know. And the month prior to that, there was only 38 reservations that had been made. Talking it over with Ricky on the way to Estes Park, Ricky's response was, don't forget, Jesus started with 12. I love it. I love that response. It was a great response. Yeah, absolutely. When Ricky gave the keynote message that night, there were 256 people in attendance. After that, large events where top-named athletes spoke of their faith in Christ to young athletes began in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A few years later, they were in Denver and Houston and Indianapolis holding events also. When Sports Illustrated started covering the Denver events, that's when the organization started to really gain a lot of attention, as you can imagine. Yeah. And coaches influence a lot of people. FCA began focusing on reaching coaches and coaching legends like Tom Landry, Bobby Bowden, Tony Dungy, and many others. They've joined FCA over the years to impact athletes and fellow coaches. Today, FCA focuses on a to and through the coach, recognizing that one of the best ways to reach more athletes for Christ is to first reach the coach. And I've heard athlete after athlete give testimony to how Tony Dungy really impacted them and their faith. Yeah, and you can understand how reaching the coach can reach so many more people. Absolutely. It just makes so much sense. That first event in Colorado, spawned a network of citywide programs, chapters, and small group Bible studies for coaches and for athletes, which they call huddles. There are 19,431 certified huddles today. That Colorado event was the precursor to FCA's today camps, which are now like a staple of the ministry. They had 839 camps 537 in the U.S. and 302 internationally this past year. And they were reaching 83,575 campers in 2022. Big jump from the 256. Are, <laughs> yeah, huge, right? There are six types of camps that they hold. They hold sports camps. They hold multi-sport and sports-specific camps. They hold leadership camps for developing athletes and coaches to be leaders. 
They have just coaches camps. They have team camps. They have power camps for what they call power camps is for eight to 12 year olds. And they have partnership camps where they partner with other organizations. Every October, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes holds its Fields of Faith event on one particular night across the globe where all student athletes, coaches, and parents, and the community members worship together. They hear speakers, they pray, and they make a commitment to reading and studying the Bible. Always a good thing, Chris. I know, always a great thing. So we want to tell you a little bit more about the organization before we go ahead and end Don McClanahan's personal story about his life. But the FCA is a Christian organization. It's interdenominational. Their website says that they are a community working to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes who desire to see every coach and athlete enter into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church and who seek to make disciples through their strategy of engaging, equipping, and empowering coaches and athletes to know and grow in Christ and lead others to do the same. Totally Christ-focused here. like Yeah. Totally my, I think all of my kids belonged to the FCA when they were in high school. Maybe not all, but I, I think it was all. And they loved it. Yeah. Their statement of faith says, we believe the Bible to be the only inspired, trustworthy, and true without error word of God. We believe there is only one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus Christ is God in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his death that paid for our sin through his shed blood, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension, rising up to the right hand of the Father, and in his personal return in power and glory. We believe that acceptance of Jesus Christ and the corresponding renewal of the Holy Spirit is the only path to salvation for lost, sinful men and women. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives within and guides Christians so that they are enabled to live godly lives. We believe in eternal life and that through belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, we spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. We believe that in rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive eternal suffering in hell. We believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ and that all believers are members of his body, the church. And that's the end of their beliefs. And they have scriptural references for all the things that they state that they believe. Another, always a good thing. Absolutely. So Rose, I think it was important to read that because this organization has been bashed for being Christian and therefore not inclusive in all aspects. That's one of the things they get bashed the most for. And they had that from the very beginning. In 1955, Ed Sullivan blasted the organization for excluding Jews. But like we said already, they were adamant that this was a Christian organization. And Jews aren't Christians. They could start the FJA. That's right. Let Jewish them start athletes. their own organization. <laughs> yeah, let them start their own. While anyone can attend the meetings, to be a student leader in the FCA, you must agree to certain criteria. You must agree to keep the focus on the gospel of Christ and not get into denominational is issues such as speaking in tongues or healing or prophesying. You must agree with the FCA statement of faith 
and you must agree to their purity statement. Rose, you want to read what that says? Sure. That statement says, God desires his children to lead pure lives of holiness. The Bible is clear in teaching on sexual sin, including sex outside the marriage and homosexual acts. Neither heterosexual sex outside of marriage nor any homosexual act constitute an alternative lifestyle acceptable to God. While upholding God's standard of holiness, FCA strongly affirms God's love and redemptive power in the individual who chooses to follow him. FCA's desire is to encourage individuals to trust in Jesus and turn away from any impure lifestyle. That's a tough stance for an organization to take today, but they're taking it. Good for them. In 2022, FCA won a lawsuit in California against a school district in San Jose, California, that revoked the status of the Christian student group as an official high school club. Why? They were claiming it was discriminatorily barring LGBTQ students from serving as club leaders. But hey, start your own club. That's right. In almost 70 years since their beginning, the FCA has stuck to its commitment to not compromise their focus and the commitment to God's word and biblical truth. They are committed to utilizing scripture in their ministry. They've printed more than 200,000 Bibles in a year and have distributed 2.5 million Bibles around the world in the last 20 years. The organization has had two magazines, The Christian Athlete, which started in 1959 as a four-page digest, one eight-and-a-half leaven sheet folded in half, and another called STV, which stands for Sharing the Victory, and you can view the archives of both of these on their website. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes was always committed to calling athletes and coaches into the church. The men who established it were all active participants in their local churches. And the commitment for all of the individuals who participate in leading their programs as active members have to be active members in their churches. Even high school and college athletes who enroll in the FCA conferences are asked to obtain the signature of their pastor or priest on their application forms. And here's the FCA statement about it. It says, unlike many religious movements who have been established over the years, the FCA is dedicated to the principle that the youth of America need to be called into the church rather than away from the church. And that's the end of their statement. FCA is committed to the idea that the reformation that's desperately needed in someone's personal life must take place within the local church body. So they call all their athletes to active participation in worship services and in the witness of their local church. I think that's great. I think that's great too. And I think they're absolutely right. They're mm -hmm. not trying to compete with the church. They're trying to supplement it. Yes. In 1960, the McLennan's 10-year-old daughter, Judy, died after open-heart surgery. So that's the second child they lost. Two years later, Bob Stoddard became the FCA's second executive director, and the McLennan's and their two remaining children, Michael and Laura, moved to an area near Germantown, Maryland, where he lived until his death in 2016 at the age of 91. Don McLennan founded other ministries as well in his lifetime. 
He founded Washington Lift, which was an inner city youth ministry. He founded the Ministry of Money, which was a ministry for wealthy Americans to reach impoverished nations, and he founded Harvest Time. Yeah, he also made regular mission trips to Haiti, even when he was in his 80s. His wife, Gloria, just died last year. And in addition to this, their two children, he has seven grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. So, Rose, I thought maybe we'd end with a few quotes about him since we quoted him a few times in the episode. That's a great idea. One wealthy American who participated in the Ministry of Money recalls this memory of meeting with Coach McLennan for the first time. And this is what he said. I encountered Don at Christ's House Table Fellowship. For a few years, I attended a communion service at the hospital for homeless men. Praying, breaking bread, and singing with that community was a profound teaching for me. Don was always there serving the meal. I see him now moving around the crowded dining room with a cafeteria tray in his hand, busily bringing plates to the table, pausing to greet friends and introducing people to each other. And here's another quote about Don. This is from Wayne Atchison, a former staffer at FCA. Don was a very humble, soft-spoken, and Christ-like man. Only God could take a student basketball manager in college and give him the vision for FCA and the perseverance to organize what became the world's largest sports ministry. And we'll do one more. If there's ever a question about what God can do with a life totally surrendered, called and risking all to follow his vision, we can point to a young basketball coach from Oklahoma who in 1954 saw the potential of athletes and coaches to share the gospel with the world. And that's uh, the current FCA president, Les Steckel. So next time you see a professional athlete talking about his or her Christian faith, Think of Don McLannan, who's the founder of the largest sports ministry in the world. And he's actually the man who got the ball rolling. And all because he was obedient to God. And he surrendered his will and his life to him. Amen. And gosh, what a picture for us of a faithful Christian, what God can do. And that's a great place to end for today. Thanks for tuning in. Have a blessed day, everyone.